I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. This podcast is made in collaboration with The Jewish Journal. Aesop, the great Greek storyteller, once said, We hang the petty thieves and appoint the great ones to public office. Israel, just like any country with a government, has a history of political corruption. Ehud Olmert, Arya Deri, Moshe Katsav, these are all names that are synonymous in most Israeli minds with the concept of political corruption. One party that has been especially dogged by corruption charges is Israel Baitenu, the party founded and headed by Avigdor Lieberman. Today, we're joined by the amazing journalist, Simona Weinglass. Simona is an old friend of the podcast. She joined us around two years ago to discuss the fraudulent binary options industry, which she had a huge part in taking down with her groundbreaking expose in the Times of Israel. It was titled The Wolves of Tel Aviv, so check out that episode. And today, you're joining us to talk about corruption in general. Now, you wrote, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. For joining me. Usually, Naor is here, so I sound like schizophrenic. <laughs> but, but today, obviously, guys, as you can see, if you're watching us, but for our listeners, Naor is not with us. Uh, there was a fiasco he had to attend to. So. Before we get to the episode, guys, I have to tell you about our sponsors over at the Chosen One Card Game. Let's face it, we Jews, we're not really good at sports or keeping our opinions to ourselves. But we're not bad at funny. We do funny, all right. The Chosen One card game is certified hilarious. Okay, you get a huge set of Jewish-themed question and answer cards, and you match them up, and the funny combinations are hilarious. And best of all, of course, it's Shabbat-friendly, so you can play it on Shabbat. Nora and I were playing this game before we recorded, and we were literally cracking up from the first combo— Apparently, the reason I don't go to Temple anymore is because of Gene Simmons. This game is a must-have for any Jew who considers himself a Jew. The Chosen One card game, guys. Visit thechosenonegame.com, thechosenonegame.com, and use the promo code 2NJB for a discount. Again, that's thechosenonegame.com, and use the promo code 2, the number 2NJB, for a discount. The reason I, uh, I invited you is because I read, uh, and we just spoke a bit about this, I read an article that you had written, another piece in the Time of, Times of Israel. Uh, it was titled, I have it right here, The One Who Got Away, Ex-Prosecutor Laments the Failure to Indict Lieberman. So tell me maybe a bit why you, why you wrote that article. Okay, so, um, so as you just said, you invited me on the podcast about two years ago to talk about the Israel's binary options industry, which was this underground industry that was hiding in plain sight. That, um, there were people working in call centers and stealing billions of dollars um, from, from people abroad. And in October 2017, the Knesset passed a law to ban the binary options industry. And most people who weren't following it that closely, and I, I can't expect the average reader to follow it that closely, thought that this was a great victory, um, that the story was that you had a newspaper that exposed some kind of corruption, and then the Knesset moved in, law enforcement moved in, and, and it was shut down. And so whenever I bump into people on the street and they, they hear my name, they say, oh, wow, great job with, the, with shutting down the binary options industry. But that isn't actually the story, and that isn't actually what happened. What happened was that the, the law passed by the Knesset had been seriously watered down behind the scenes so that um, originally the law would have prohibited any call center that or any company that doesn't have a license to solicit investors abroad from operating. And the law was watered down to the point where it only prohibited one financial product, which was binary options. And the companies just changed the name of their product. Some of them changed their product to cryptocurrency, and they continue to operate in this underground industry, as far as I can tell, is pretty much still flourishing, still bringing in billions of, um, I don't know, billions, but still raking in huge amounts of money. Um, so and, and, and defrauding people. And defrauding people abroad. And, um, and, and, and there's a lot of illicit money coming into Israel. Sometimes I, I wonder why apartments in Tel Aviv are so expensive, right? Why, why you have to pay 
a huge amount of rent in in um in tel aviv for an apartment that would be condemned you know and it's even in a city yeah. like uh washington dc where my family lives or in, in so, new york so you you're saying that perhaps this whole fraudulent industry is propping up kind of this like the, yes these fake prices this industry and other related industries that are are fraudulent and that are based on 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 dirty money so so and and I wanted to understand why why this happened, why it was so hard to to shut this down. Um, and then before, so Avigdor Lieberman, who's the head of the Israel Beitenu party, um, he is best known right now for bringing down the government in May. Mm-hmm. So um, the Netanyahu failed to form a coalition because uh, Avigdor Lieberman refused to enter his government. Over a Haredi draft law, there was a law that was going to eventually draft more um, ultra-Orthodox yeshiva students, and the ultra-Orthodox parties wanted this law to be watered down as their condition for entering the coalition, and Lieberman refused. And so he mm-hmm. became a hero of sorts because for for secular people... Ironically, for the are, left. Are, are for the left, and for, and for secular people, or for people who are concerned about... Haredi coercion, and also for people who are concerned about the fact that the ultra-Orthodox Haredi population is growing, and and many of them don't work, or they or, or if they work, they don't work legally, um, and they many of them don't educate their children um, in core core subjects, mm-hmm. and so they might as core they core subjects gro- is like here in Israel is like math, science, math, science, and English, yeah. right? And and those are things that you can't make up for later in life, right? If mm-hmm. you don't study math and science and English when you're young, then then you're not really going to be employable in a modern economy yeah. uh, later on in life. And so this is a yeah. Go so ahead. how so how does this kind of like the fraudulent binary industry, which okay. which you're saying is still kind of alive and thriving, and Victor Lieberman. Okay. Uh, uh, breaking down the government. How right. do they come yes. together? So I wanted to understand. I wanted to understand why the police, why the forces of good government and the forces of rule of law were unable to defeat this criminal industry. Mm-hmm. And I would talk to police and try to understand. And often they would play dumb and, and make excuses. And I wanted to understand what was going on inside the justice ministry inside the prosecutor's office i came across this book by avia alif um Mm -hmm. who's the former i think until 2013 she was the prosecutor for the head prosecutor for economic affairs in in the state prosecutor's office um and she was the lead investigator the lead prosecutor in the avigdor lieberman case so avigdor lieberman um he moved here from moldova which is kind of on the margins of the former Soviet Union. It's um, this small, small country where people speak Romanian and Russian. He moved here in 1978 at the age of 20. And as a student, he became active in politics with the Likud. He hitched his wagon to Benjamin Netanyahu as a rising star. And from 1988 till about 1997, he was Netanyahu's most trusted um advisor he would take his shirts to the cleaners he was just he was benjamin netanyahu's guy and right hand man yes his right hand man he wasn't a member of knesset he was not a member of knesset but he was he was the um director general of the prime minister's office um during um netanyahu's first term in office Mm -hmm. um and then in 1997 he quits um, he went. He went into business for a year, and then in 1999, he established his Israel Beitenu party. Okay. Uh, in this year, he he went into made business. some money. He made some money, right? Okay. And he made some money in the former Soviet Union, and just um, a bit of money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, he you know, he made he made money, and um, you know, in the the so Russia in the 1990s and and those former Soviet countries, they were kind of like the Wild West, and they were a land of opportunity. Um, and especially if you if you did business with the right people, um, you could you could make a lot of money. Let's say the profits were very very big. Um, so okay, so Lieberman. Um, now up until 97, mm-hmm. and he quit, and then 98, he uh, he he went into business for about a year. Right. Up until that point, he was like squeaky clean. I mean, there were <laughs> I, the laughter doesn't. <laughs> I'm not laughing at him. 
1997, I think there were two recommendations. There were two police investigations into both of which were closed. Um, but the first one was for he allegedly had embezzled money from, I think, from the Gesher Aliyah, from a nonprofit organization that he headed. Uh, that, that was investigated, but the case was dropped. Um, and then there was the Baron Chevron affair, which was, um, so Lieberman was an advisor to Netanyahu at the time, and the idea was that um, Lieberman and Netanyahu had allegedly plotted to appoint Baron, Ronnie Baron, as the um, attorney general so that he would close or he would offer a plea deal to Aryeh Derry, um, I think who was a Shas member of Knesset, who was under um, corruption investigations. In, in exchange for their for Arya Dari's support in their um, withdrawal or the policies in in Hebron. so eventually Dari went to prison. Eventually, Dari went to prison. So, so that that didn't work out. So, but those were two um, corruption cases against Lieberman, or two or um, at least he was involved in, in investigations, in right? There was another plea deal where he he'd actually a, a young boy, twelve year old boy, had hit his son, and he had gone and assaulted the boy, and he pleaded guilty to that so so there he have he has been under investigation so he he pleaded guilty to beating up a 12 year old kid i yes there was a plea deal right so <laughs> <laughs> wow okay so that's, that's pretty amazing that, no, okay. right so it's interesting it's interesting what kind of thing um israeli voters will tolerate and, and what kind of thing things are not a not a deal breaker for yeah. for israeli voters but what happened next? So, so then, starting around two thousand and one, if I if I'm not mistaken, there started to be really um, major suspicions of corruption against Lieberman, and the suspicions that were that he was taking huge amounts of money from very prominent businessmen um, with very prominent businessmen, one by the name of David Apple and another guy by the name of Martin Schlaff and Robert Novikovsky, both of whom are. Austrian, I believe, but they're connected to the Kremlin and connected to Putin because they um, are involved with this company called Gazprom, which is a Russian um, energy company. And um, those, the police investigated that for a while. I suppose they um, they weren't able to find enough evidence. But then in 2006, there was a dramatic breakthrough. Some there was a smoking gun. There were some bank statements that were sent to the prosecutors in an envelope and these bank statements were for all kinds of um, offshore companies um, in Cyprus and elsewhere with millions of dollars entering um, these companies and Lieberman's handwriting was on these bank statements. Okay. Oh, wow. um, so prosecutors... Wait, so what, what were the allegations in this case? Okay, so the allegations were that um, what, what, the pro what prosecutors believed was that Lieberman had been receiving huge sums of money, I mean, over $10 million from a group of about five businessmen, right? And some of these businessmen are, are names that you'll recognize because they're still in the news. So one of them was um, Russian oligarch Michael Chernoy. Another one was Dan Gertler, the, um, the diamond tycoon who was actually under U.S., who was yeah. sanctioned by the United States. But what is, what's wrong with receiving, with receiving money. $10 million? It, it was more, and, and, and there were. It was from various people. But mm -hmm. what's wrong? What's wrong with receiving millions of dollars um, at the time? And by two, in the early two thousands, Avigdor Lieberman had become a minister, and Israeli ministers are not allowed to have business dealings um, mm -hmm. on the outside. And he, so he, so there were bank accounts that were receiving large sums of money. However, um, Lieberman claimed, and and there was evidence to support this that the bank that he had. When he became a minister, when um, he had offloaded these companies to various people, so that one company had been um, sold supposedly to a a diamond dealer named Yosef Schuldiner. Another, um, th there was another company that received millions of dollars that now belonged to Lieberman's driver Igor Schneider, and there was another company that received um, millions that belonged to his. Um, his daughter, who was a, a student, a humanities student at the Hebrew University at the time. Um, and so prosecutors just thought, well, the driver, the daughter, the millions, why would these big oligarchs bother with, you know, Avigdor Lieberman's driver and his daughter? And they thought the money was actually intended for Avigdor Lieberman, and Lieberman completely denied this, okay? 
Um, and then what, what Avia Aleph uh, says in the book is, is that what happened is in 2009, these investigations were going on for a long time. In 2009, Avigdor Lieberman had a windfall um, victory in the elections. He won 15 mandates in the Knesset. Wow. Okay, so that's 15 out of uh, 120 yeah. seats, right? So Those that was the good days in, uh, for Avigdor Lieberman. Yes. That Today was... he like struggles to get five, <laughs> six, right? But, 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 right, but the polls are showing that he might get up to 10, so he might make a cut. now he's like this, uh, he's right. this, this, this legend right. <laughs> for taking down Netanyahu. Right, and for, and for standing up to the ultra-Orthodox, yeah. there are many people who want to reward him for that. But in any case, in 2009, he received 15 uh, mandates, and um, no one quite knows what happened, but an attorney... Um, general was appointed by the name of Yehuda Weinstein. Now, Yehuda Weinstein was an odd choice for attorney general because he had been a, a defense attorney for white-collar criminals, including senior politicians like Derry and Olmert and Netanyahu. And um, and he had also represented um, Oleg Deripaska, who was a, a very famous Russian oligarch who's you know in the news right now in the United States in connection with the Mueller report and mm-hmm. and um, Russian interference in the U.S. elections. So, so Oleg Deripaska and Derry and um, Olmert's lawyer Yehuda Weinstein was now appointed attorney general. So he was now on the other side, and he was expected to to prosecute white collar crime. When before he had defended, mm-hmm. um, he had defended people accused of white collar crime and corruption. Um, so the way. Uh, Avia Aleph describes in the book is over a period of two years, um, Yehuda Weinstein just created an atmosphere where, whereas, you know, in 2010, when he, when he came on board, or in 2009, when he came on board, the prosecutors were very determined and, and very um, confident that they could prosecute Lieberman over a period of a few years that confidence was eroded. Um, Weinstein just wasn't sure. He felt that all the evidence was circumstantial. He wasn't sure you could really prosecute him. Maybe the money really was intended for um, for Lieberman's daughter. Maybe Lieberman's driver really was a brilliant deal maker and, and deserved the commission for the deal he had made between two oligarchs. And so there Which was- Which is weird because as you say, he was, he was defending white collar crime. Mm-hmm. Um, up until up until like right up until he right. was brought in as attorney general, so he should have been able to look at this case and say, "I know exactly what's going on here." I mean, you would think that even if even if this is like, I mean, he would be able to see through all the mist and basically, right. so you know, not a, that it necessarily is, but that generally someone with that background would be able to look at a case like this and say, "Okay, I, I'm a, I understand right. that there's you know." Right. So, um, so in May, when um, when the government collapsed because of Lieberman's refusal to join the coalition, and new elections were called, Yair Netanyahu, the prime minister's son, uh, tweeted that actually uh, Yehuda Weinstein's appointment to attorney general had been a corrupt deal. Or not a corrupt deal, but had been a deal between his father and Avigdor Lieberman, um, and that the purpose of appointing him had been to close the case, uh, precisely to close the case against Lieberman. Um, as soon as he tweeted it, he uh, he disappeared from Twitter for a few days, and um, he re- retracted the statement and said, "Oh no, no, I didn't mean it. It was uh, I just blurted that out." And um, for people who don't know, Yair Netanyahu is like infamous for kind of spilling for being a bit of a loose cannon yeah on twitter especially (laughs) so um uh, right so um so avia olive she's a former prosecutor and she's nothing if not extremely precise and correct so she no she doesn't say she doesn't come out and say i think that this was a corrupt appointment or i think that yuda weinstein was not acting in good faith she never says that and she says she has no evidence she just says that the effect the the overall effect that his appointment had on the prosecutors was to weaken their resolve and to um, to just make them doubt their own um, former 
uh, convictions, convictions, right? That that they had a very strong case, and then eventually in December two thousand and twelve, um, Weinstein decided that really there, it, it, all the evidence was circumstantial, and he had to close the case. And 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 one of the interesting things about the the investigation, one of the things that Avia Aleph talks about in her book, is that it was a very hard case to prosecute. And again, she has. No proof, but one witness after another would either die or disappear under mysterious circumstances. And she often felt that she was being followed, right? So so um, police would go to Moldova or they would go to Belarus or they would, they would interview um, to Cyprus and, and they would question a witness. Um, and then, you know, a few months later, that witness was dead. And sometimes under violent circumstances, there was another witness who developed a stroke and could no longer communicate. And again, it, the, there are plausible explanations for everything. And she's not accusing anyone of any wrongdoing. But she just noticed she'd been a prosecutor for 20 years. And there had just been a lot of, uh, there were a lot of deaths of, maybe, of key witnesses. Maybe and, Lieberman has some guardian angel exactly no but this is i mean this is crazy this is like house of cards stuff like you know that of course nothing is proven and there's no concrete evidence but it's it does seem pretty coincidental that you know all these witnesses are disappearing and you know that you know they're just kind of off the face of the earth the second after they find them so i mean isn't this lighting up some like red lights and uh (laughs) <laughs> in, in in like the uh the prosecutor's uh office i mean aren't they don't they realize that they're onto something how can they close a case that's this i don't know questionable? well and, and and that's why avia Aleph wrote the book because she just the injustice of it she just couldn't let it pass she couldn't let it slide she felt that something really wrong had happened and she felt that this was a turning point in terms of corruption in Israel and I think what she says in the book is if you appoint and and she doesn't talk about Weinstein in particular but she says in general if you take you know a government um, agency that's supposed to be kind of a watchdog that's supposed to protect the public that's supposed to enforce the rule of law and you appoint the wrong person to be the head of it that impacts the entire organization. And maybe, maybe you know, maybe if you have a police force and you appoint the wrong person to be the chief of police, maybe that's okay. But that person might appoint someone else. And, and over time, the general tenor of the, of the organization will change. And so that's what she's very worried about. And that's something she's worried about is happening in Israel. Um, when I interviewed her, we also talked about um, Netanyahu. So there are all these investigations against Netanyahu. And then the police chief alleged, although he didn't uh, elaborate, he said that there had been people surveying and, and private investigators who seemed to be harassing and surveying the police who were investigating Netanyahu. And that just seemed, that's a worldwide trend, right? So you have um, uh, Jose... Grinda in Spain, who's a prosecutor, has gone after a lot of Russian mafia. And he also gets, well, he gets death threats and he gets harassed and people accusing him of pedophilia. So so there seems to be a worldwide pattern of um, when you're of prosecutors investigating someone very important. And then um, instead of being able to do their jobs, there are all these there's all this interference but i mean that kind of comes with the the game i feel like right is that if you're going to be trying to take down these people who are da- doing shady and dangerous things then you expect to be that to try and be obstructed like if someone is corrupt enough to be funneling money and to kill off witnesses he's going to be trying to obstruct your you know or, or i mean killing witnesses is his attempt to obstruct you're carrying out of justice. That kind of makes sense to me, but what doesn't make sense to me is that the system itself lets that happen. Um, although I guess it's this kind of thing that feeds itself. Right, right. So, so but in the end, what happened with this case? I mean, it was closed. So how so did the it case end up was closed? closed. Um, how did it end up getting closed? Did Weinstein? Uh... Weinstein closed the case. He had a, a ninety-five page memo where he explained why he closed the case, and he basically went point by point through all the evidence and said, well, this can be seen two different ways. Yes, this can be seen as 
in this way, but there also there's also a perfectly innocent explanation for this. But isn't that the job of a court? I mean, the job of that a is that is the job of, of an attorney general is to right. decide whether or not there right. is probable cause, right? Or, right, and so what Avia Olive says is that this the evidence should have brought have been brought before a court. I mean, he he closed it of his own volition. He decided that he wouldn't get a conviction, and therefore it wasn't worth bringing to court. And Avia Olive says that 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 was a misjudgment and that was wrong because it was the case was never adjudicated, mm-hmm. and um, the ca- the case was just closed before it ever went to court. And um, is there any chance of this case being reopened or is that not something that can happen legally? I don't think so. I mean, I think it's just at this point, it's water under the bridge. But you never know, I guess, if there's new evidence in the case or. But right. But 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 I I think but when when you asked me how this connected to binary options and why I was interested in Mm -hmm. this, I think what happened with binary options is you have you had there are two types of corruption, right? So there's local corruption where the phone companies, you know, overcharges people and scams them. Or you have this this woman named Imbal Orr who was um, allegedly defrauding people in real estate deals. And, that, and that's a kind of local corruption. And when it comes to local corruption, you have a system in place where the police, the media expose it, and then the police um, come in and start investigating. And then eventually, um, hopefully... The, per- the justice will 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 um, prevail, but um, there's a new type of corruption that's that's global, and I think with the binary options, you have you know if you have transnational organized crime groups involved in that. In the Lieberman case, you see there are all kinds of players from the former Soviet Union, and what you see happening is that whatever systems are in place in Israel, at least the media or the um, or um, law enforcement. Um, and we don't know what would have happened in Lieberman's case, but those forces are not powerful enough to, they're not a strong enough force to withstand pressure, you know, mm-hmm. pressure. So in the case of the binary options, there was some sort of pressure which prevented the Knesset from actually shutting down the industry. In the case of Lieberman, there was some kind of pressure which prevented prosecutors from actually um, from actually being able to bring witnesses. I mean, part part of the problem with, that Weinstein said is, well, look, all of our witnesses, we don't have any witnesses left, right? <laughs> he said that. We can't bring this to court. Um, their key witness was a woman um, named Daniela Morzi in Cyprus. Mm-hmm. Um, and after many of the other witnesses met an untimely, um, after some of the other witnesses met an untimely end, she said that she no longer remembered. Um, she no longer remembered what her previous testimony had been and she was no longer sure of it, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so Weinstein said, look, we, we have no witnesses. There's no one we can bring to the stand. So, um, so I think that's the lesson that I took away when I, when I wrote this article and also that I took away from the investigations into the, um, binary options is that whatever systems we have in place in Israel are, are not powerful enough to go up against this kind of global corruption. But but could it be that I mean maybe we're this it's too much of an extrapolation that you know because you do look at Israel and there's always the the argument that uh, you know where you don't see corruption it's because it's not being battled and where where there's you know, where, where you can see corruption, lots of corruption around, it's because it's being exposed and it's being taken care of. And, right. And so you look at Israel and we've put, you know, a president and a prime minister in jail. We've put many members of parliament in jail. You know, we've uncovered corruption a lot thanks to, you know, the amazing work that journalists do. Right. Because of the work of our police. So is there, is there, you don't feel like there's maybe an argument to be made that corruption is being fought here? It's just, it's a hard fight. It's maybe even an uphill battle, but, but the fight is being fought. Um, I, I've, I've heard that argument before and, um, but just, just as a reporter who writes about corruption, my sense is that in fact, it's the tip of the iceberg and there's a lot more corruption in Israel and it's the problem is that the media aren't exposing it. I mean the, we could talk about what's what's happening in the media right now but there aren't a lot of um, there isn't a lot of investigative reporting in Israel. There isn't a lot of money for investigative reporting the entire, you know, media industry and this is worldwide has been, you know, decimated by the internet. And so there are a lot of things that are happening that you're not hearing about um 
and um and and also I'll, I'll give you a statistic right because because that's just my subjective opinion that there's a lot of corruption that you're not hearing about and it's not being prosecuted um but the um the chief economist of Israel did a study last year and I don't know what how exactly they structured the study or how they um came up with their conclusions but they basically said um that um in Israel, um, only one in five people were investigated by the police or actually indicted or actually prosecuted, whereas in other developed countries, it's three in five. So you could say, okay, well, <laughs> you could say, well, well, maybe that's good, right? Maybe the, all those people were innocent, right? But we don't have no way of knowing that. Um, but also that enforcement of contracts in Israel is, is weaker than in other developed countries, um, so, so that's a study that we're, we're the chief economist, an internal study looking at Israeli society and saying, no, our law enforcement is very weak. Um, my sense is that our law enforcement is very weak. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard, I've heard from the, there because some, some of the, um, some of the scams I've investigated are global and I've heard from, from people in other countries, from people connected to law enforcement in other countries that, um, that they ask for help from Israel and Israel doesn't offer that uh, offer help in um, prosecuting criminals or investigating criminals. Mm. So I've he- I've seen and heard enough to to think that actually the problem goes much deeper. Yeah. Um. Than we realize. Um. But yeah, I mean, if if you don't see it, if you don't read about it in the newspaper and the police aren't prosecuting it you can just you might as well conclude that it's not there right and then it's just a matter of perspective no i think that i mean the idea that law enforcement is weak in israel is something that definitely i mean you see the sentences that certain criminals get Mm -hmm. and the fact that you know you have terrorists in jail who you know you know well i mean the death penalty is is a whole other topic but there's people who have just are being charged with egregious crimes and right. are sitting in jail for maybe a year or two and then they get released and, and people who don't even end up in prison when they've done awful things like assault people or uh, so i think that in and of itself gives kind of a little idea of how things you know i mean there's no there's no deterrent factor so you know it makes sense that people would kind of commit crimes um even you know white collar but i think it starts from kind of punishing the other you know all kind all crime right um but it's also it's interesting because there was a ranking of ahead of the episode i looked up like ranking of corruption mm-hmm. and israel is 32nd out of 180 countries okay which i'm not sure is but you know ahead of like above us on the list are countries like qatar and mm-hmm. united arab emirates and uh, you know uh, Uruguay, and I mean I'm not sure what the state in these countries is, but it seems to me hard to believe that we're that corrupt. Oh, you think thirty second? Thirty second seems high to me. I mean, there are how many countries are on the list? A hundred. Hundred eighty. Okay, so thirty two is pretty good. But Qatar and it- United Arab Emirates and Uruguay and like uh, I think uh, Bhutan was on the like. Well, it's like. I mean. I- how, what's the methodology for the survey, right? I is it, per, no idea, is yeah. it, perce- I th- it might be perceptions of corruption because they have no way of measuring. Uh-huh. I, I'm curious what the methodology is, but let's say it's perceptions of corruption. So then they go to people in each country and they say, how corrupt do you perceive your country to be? So that, that measures something, right? Because, because. Yeah, but it's, I mean, people's minds are fickle. So, you know. Right. And that's not really a. Uh, like a, it's not really concrete evidence. <laughs> right. You could measure, I guess, the the amount of money that has been, uh, you know, uh, the amount of money that's been uh, passed hand, passed through, you know, and uh, like how much charges have been brought against people. But then you're not accounting for all the corruption that's underneath the surface. So right. I'm not sure. But back to mm-hmm. kind of the, the, the cases that were brought against, the charges that were brought against okay. the government. So this one was one of the biggest ones, the, mm-hmm. the one that you were talking about with the offshore companies in right. Cyprus. This was one of the biggest charges brought against them. One I, of the I think that, that, that was one of the, the biggest cases against them. And I think it was the most serious because, um, you know, Lieberman denies any wrongdoing. However, if, you know, let's entertain the possibility because this case was never brought to court. If these millions of dollars were had been intended 
for Lieberman and not for his daughter, not for his driver. Um, and th then the question is, what for? And, and that's a lot of money, right? I mean, and what did these people want from him, right? But we're never, we're never going to know because the case is closed. Yeah. But it's very serious and it's something to keep in mind. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, what he he's a uh, high up official in the Israeli government. So, I mean, first of all, there's if he's getting money from 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 people who from other nationalities, then that's like a very there's a very big national security concern. But but there's also I mean, you know, just a matter of like, do you have actually the public's interest at heart? You know, right. Maybe you're funneling money to other companies or I don't know. I mean, it, we, we just don't know. Yeah. We just don't know. Um, so what was one of the, I mean, is this, this is, uh, has there been any cases since then? That well, been, there was another charges? small, there was another small case involving, um, uh, the, I think the ambassador to Belarus. Um, but he was, he was actually acquitted, which was a small case related to this case. He was actually acquitted in that, in that smaller case, but yeah, but since then he's pretty much been clear of corruption, but there have been other cases involving his party, Israel Beitenu. So there are many, many, um, Lieberman hasn't been implicated at all, but there, um, there's something called the Israel Beitenu affair. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there are 14 sub cases within the Israel Beitenu affair. And they, um, one, one um one Israel Beitenu official has been convicted and I think he went to jail. I think he's out at this time. Stas Mezhnikov and then another Israel Beitenu former Knesset member Fania Kirshenbaum has been indicted. Um and I I don't know where that case stands exactly, but she she's been indicted. And then there are others other cases that are under investigation, but they basically all follow the same pattern. The pattern is that a company or nonprofit approached uh, an official connected to Israel Beitenu, offered them some sort of bribe or some sort of kickback in exchange for that person who controlled some sort of government money funneling money to their organization, right? Mm -hmm. So you had some sort of advertising firm and um, and um, the person, this, this is an allegation, the, the person wanted a certain ministry to advertise with that advertising firm, so they allegedly offered a bribe, things like that. Or there's a nonprofit where they wanted um, Israel Beitenu to funnel funds to that nonprofit, so they offered a bribe to the official in charge. And there, mm -hmm. there are there, yes, I think there are 14 separate cases like that. I haven't followed the ins and outs, but it, there's sort of a pattern of, um, wow. yeah. 14 cases. I think 14 sub, yeah. yeah, I mean. So basically they're paying off uh, the party. but Allegedly, are they, are they allegedly. Alleged, but one person has already gone to jail, Stas. Uh, uh, not, they're not paying off the party. They're, pay, they're paying off individuals. Individuals, right. For, to promote this, this, to, this agenda. But like, because. To give money to their organization. No, but I'm saying mm -hmm. they, they, let's say in the in the case against us, so what was the name again? Me yeah, Mexico, but I don't, I don't remember the details of ah, that okay. case. But because how do they know that that person that they're paying off is going to be in the correct position well, that, to. The person, kind of, that person controls some sort of budget. And then, yeah. and the idea is you give that person a small bribe and then that I person. See. So it's not like a head of elections or anything. It's after the person's already in place, they paid right. them and then they got. Right. Those are the allegations. Yeah. Those are the allegations. And there, there are many allegations of that nature and they're under various stages of investigation. Okay. So, that, so that's, yeah. So that's a party. And then the question is. Um, but they do have voters and they're, they're people. And, and one of the things that concerns me is that, um, you know, nobody, uh, many of the suspicions are alleged and Lieberman himself is not under any suspicion of wrongdoing at present, but nevertheless, um, Lieberman is set to get about 10, uh, Knesset seats according to the latest polls and, and the question is and it, it, this these things aren't talked about you don't hear there are a few journalists who talk about them but they're mostly just kind of glided over as if they're old news and but I mean it seems to me like I don't know if this is an accurate breakdown of it but it feels to me that the media in Israel is concerned mostly with one thing which is kind of supporting the takedown of of the of Benjamin Netanyahu's government, 
I mean, when you watch the news, it's like the the focus is generally on Benjamin Netanyahu and the Likud, and and I mean, you know, I don't want to sound too conspiratory, but like it, it's not, and I don't think it's a conspiracy. I just think that the media generally leans to the left, and so I think that there's this attitude because Lieberman has come out and said that there's no way that he's sit, sitting with Netanyahu. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea that like, well, the more Lieberman the more seats he gets, right. the, the better chance that, that Bibi won't, you know, form a coalition and lead the next government. Do you, you I feel like so you disagree not, with I'm that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the media leans to left. Maybe, I mean, you have the television channels like Channel 10 and Channel 2, which are, I think they're mostly just very superficial, right? I mean, they're, they're not, they don't go into depth. Um, the the print the print media or whatever you call it, I'm not sure that it leans to the left. Um, but in general, I would agree with you that if it... If they don't lead to the left, at least they're anti-BB? Is um, that safe to say? Or you're who, not... You I don't agree. No, I don't agree with that. I mean, I, if you look at the most read newspaper in Israel, which is Israel Yom, which is a freebie, granted, it's very pro-BB. Um yeah, but that's not, I mean, that's exactly, that's, it's a freebie. It's like, it's a... But it's the most, last I checked, it's one of the most read newspapers in Israel. But I, I do understand, I, I mean, I think... But if you um, look at Channel 2, or mm-hmm. or Khan, the Tagid, or any of those, or Channel 10. Right. Like, you get a sense that, I mean, what they're talking about are the cases against BB and... Which they should, because he's no, the prime minister, right. Should. They absolutely should, but it... I don't know. I get a sense that they're it's kind of very much focused on um on the, on the Likud. Okay. And on, uh, and on the detriments of the Likud and they're not kind of a sh- doing any kind of work on shining a light on the other side. Or, okay. You know, I mean there's not much talk about like the Arab uh, the joint list mm-hmm. or the corruption in the uh in the Arab parties or you know uh they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're, the focus is on the Likud, and it makes I guess I guess on one hand it makes sense because it's they're the, the party biggest that's party. in power. Yeah, but yeah. on the other hand, it feels like they're they're that, trying okay. to. Okay, it's interesting that you yeah. that you feel that way. Okay. Um, but okay, so so we have the big Israel Beitenu case. We have the case with the offshore uh, the offshore companies in Cyprus. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, are there any big other cases that were that? Involved Israel Beitenu or Lieberman? <laughs> no, I, but I think that's quite it's enough, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, there could I could I have I have room for another one or two. <laughs> no, I mean that's I mean that's pretty much it. Yeah. I think, um, you know, that's pretty much it. So, so what do you see is like the like? Do you see any any kind of way out of this? Do you have any kind of optimism as for the future? Like, is there a way to strengthen the, uh, the 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 forces that fight these crimes in Israel, or do you kind of have you kind of been disheartened by the whole binary options affair and uh, and the way that right right? So I so the, I'll tell you with. what I think. So I think I read a really interesting book a, f- okay. a few um, a few weeks ago, and I felt like it explains a lot of things about my life and about life in general it's called scarcity it's 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 kind of a book of psychology economics um and it's scarce it's called scarcity based and and the idea is that um when you feel like you have an emergency you know some some very urgent thing like a deadline or something that you really have to do you tunnel you get this tunnel vision you just focus on that thing and you ignore everything else but to the to your own detriment because let's say you have I don't know, some deadline at work and then you ignore your family and you ignore your health and and those things come back to bite you later on. So I think Israel's been in some kind of state of emergency where where the country has been tunneling for the last 70 years where we're, we're worried about security and we think security is a big fire that's going to consume us and we have to, um, we can't put it out, but we can at least try to contain the fire. But in the meantime, there are other fires, right? And if we ignore, if we focus just on this fire because it's so urgent we're ignoring the other ones i think one of the other fires is what lieberman rightly um 
has drawn attention to, which is the problem of, the, of this ultra-Orthodox population that is growing and may be unemployable, and then Israel, you know, in 20 years from now can no longer sustain a modern economy, which will also be an existential threat to Israel. But I think the third fire that almost no one is paying attention to is, um, I think, the flows of um, dirty or illegitimate money into Israel, um, whether it's through these scam industries, whether it's through um, investments from kleptocratic regimes where, you know, a lot of money that's going into high tech is perhaps not from the most legitimate sources. And so you have this kind of corruption combined with money that that's kind of coming into the country. One example I've written that I've written about is the Milken Law, right? Um, there's a company called Knight, um, what, are, what are they called? I, I wrote Knight Frank Wealth Report, where they do a report on where the richest people in the world live. And they found that Tel Aviv, surprisingly, has um, more, is, has the six most millionaires per square kilometer of any country in the world. Tel Aviv, and I looked this up of twice, city in the world. of any city in the world. And Tel Aviv, and I looked this up twice because I, I didn't believe this was true, but I, I, according to this report, Tel Aviv has more millionaires per square kilometer than London, than Manhattan, or than New York, than New York City, Doha, and Singapore, okay? And at the same time, you had a law that was passed in 2008 where um, if you move to Israel from abroad or if you're a returning resident from abroad, you don't have to report your... Um, your income from abroad um, for, for the first 10 years that you're here. And that's an invitation to people who have, who have dirty money. Um, and I'm, I'm worried about that third emergency. I can't give you better statistics okay. than that because not a lot of people have studied the issue, but I'm very worried about it. And I think it's a big emergency. I think you, Israel, Israelis are so busy addressing these other two issues and in through the back door you might have this other problem where you have you know criminal elements or kleptocratic elements getting when you're making that much money you can get closer and closer to the to the government and that you know that helps foster corruption because corruption doesn't exist in a vacuum it it helps when there's lots of money coming in to prop it up Um, you you started out I was hopeful because (laughs) you know but then you kind of just made it darker like did I make it darker no No, so I no I think no but what I think what I think needs to be done like yeah do you you see kind of a a way out or or you have to you have to strengthen the institutions that fight how corruption and crime well I don't know I mean one thing that need I think obviously I think journalism is not any journalism but investigative journalism independent journalism right is is one institution but and you also have to strengthen law enforcement how you do it but the problem with investigative journalism is that it's it's a it's a private endeavor that has no financial uh incentive well right i mean that's a that's a big problem we have but that's what i'm saying if it's if it's if it if it really is supposed to kind of put limits on power then like it can't really be private I mean, right? Well, right, right. I mean, I mean, I feel like I, I'm, I'm a big uh, proponent of small government, and so I, I'm like wary well, so, of saying this, but should maybe the government fund investigative journalism? Well, there has to. There, ha- I, don't, I don't know if the government should fund. I'm not sure the government should fund it, but um, people of goodwill could help fund it, or uh, I, I, I mean, people who care about living in a country that's not corrupt. And a country that's democratic, because eventually when you become too corrupt, you you lose your rule of law, you lose your democracy, should think about funding it. You know, so you say you have a lot of American listeners and they care about Israel. And I think they've probably never heard what I said before. They probably knew about Israel's security concerns. They probably know a little bit about the problem that, that Lieberman highlighted with the ultra-Orthodox population. They probably never heard about this problem this growing problem of uh, transnational organized crime and corruption um so and that's something you want to you want to strengthen the forces the the anti-corruption pro good governance pro rule of law forces in israel whether they're on the right or on the left right because they're 
Right. And how do, but how is I, as an individual, how do I like, how can I do something about it? Is it just a matter of voting, uh, donating? Like what, what do I, I mean, what can I do to kind of, I don't know, make a be- make a less corrupt country that I'm living in. So you or have you a podcast. Like- you can try to <laughs> focus on those issues and talk about them. To talk right? About to bring, bring people on to talk about You should bring a Via Aleph on the podcast. How's her English? I think it's very good. Really? I, I well. <laughs> did you guys speak in English? Like no, we spoke you... in Hebrew, but oh, I, okay. I, and I don't want to speak for her, and I don't, I, you know, I. I no, of course not. But um, I assume her English. I think her English is quite good. All right, so maybe we'll have okay. her on. Maybe, maybe who knows? Maybe we'll get a Vigdor Lieberman on. And he can, <laughs> he can tell us his side of the story. Exactly. I mean that. <laughs> right. Even you know, even if um, one of the things I think that's missing in Israeli politics, you don't see a lot of debates, right? Or, yeah. or, or maybe I'm wrong, but you don't see the po- politicians no, debating each other. Just if politicians began to debate each other and had to put each other on the spot. I think but that- the debates is also, it's just a part of the political culture, right? So it's like, it's not part of it here. Right. So I, I think, so here's what I think. I think, you know, is... Um, immigrants to Israel who've come from, you know, the United States or who've come from countries with a strong tradition of democracy have a lot to contribute here, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, you have to build the democratic culture and that's... So you, you put me on the spot because I don't actually know the answer, but I'll try to look into the answer. <laughs> no, I think it's 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 actually debating is a, is a good answer. I never... I mean, I, I noticed that there weren't debates here, but I never thought about it as a way to kind of combat corruption because it really is a way for... I mean, Gans can talk all he wants to mm-hmm. about how much Bibi is corrupt and Bibi can talk... But all, they're only speaking to their own... Right. To their own kind right. of uh, constituency. But when you put two people in front of each other... Exactly. Then people are watching the other side and then they can all of yeah. a sudden be exposed to, oh, wait, I didn't know this. And right. he doesn't and, have a good answer for and it. And we're we're all living right now, or many of us are living in these echo chambers where we're only on social media, we're only kind of hearing people who agree with us. And then some of the people we're hearing are not necessarily even real because there's just a lot of fake yeah, people on on social media. And yeah, imagine what that would do if if Gantz and Netanyahu and Lieberman and um, a representative of the Democratic Front all debated. <laughs> but imagine if they debated each other and they had to respond to each other. First yeah. of all, you get everyone in the country would get people who only listen to Netanyahu would have to hear the other side and people who only listen to the left would have to listen to the other side. I think that would be a huge... Um, yeah. All right, so how do we, we gotta we gotta figure a way to make that happen? <laughs> anyway, maybe they can come on on the, on the nice pod- Jewish yeah. Boys we could podcast. be the host of the first Israeli political exactly. debate. I'm not sure it would be the first, but you know, right. the first in a long time. Anyway, so thank you so much, Simona. Thank for you for having us. me. It was great. Um, do you uh, do you like? Are you on uh, social media? On Facebook? On I'm Twitter? not. I'm not on Facebook. I'm ideologically opposed to Facebook. Okay. I, okay, I, we I went talk off. About that. We could talk about that another time. <laughs> so what about Twitter? I am on Twitter, just okay. professionally though. And I. It's, so how do people? How do people find? They you? can find me on Twitter. And, What's the handle? Um, S wine glass and you okay. and you can also you know email me at the times of israel yeah so check out uh simona's articles on the times of israel um and before we go we have a collaboration with the jewish journal uh i don't know if you've heard of them sure, yes of I'm course sure i have. have so the jewish journal guys they have great columns great podcasts uh rosner's domain is one of them so check them out jewishjournal.com and the other thing is that we do this on our free time so if you guys want to help us out go to 2njb.com slash donate uh, and you can donate thanks again thank, thank you so you. much and thank you guys for listening bye guys bye